Hey guys, Michael Miller. So honored you tune in week in and week out. This week's installment is part two of a series I'm doing on forgiveness. I think it is a fading virtue in our culture. And uh, we as believers in Jesus are commanded to forgive. And so I just hopefully give you some very practical ways to issue forgiveness to the Lord, to yourself and to others. I think you'll enjoy it. Be sure to wait for the end. The end saucy. I call it saucy bossy. It uh, it it hits. Um, specifically, the story about Joseph. So, um, buckle up. Let's go. Love you. Are we happy? Hey, I want to make mention to. Uh, I felt in my heart. I haven't done this all weekend, but we're building a new campus. Um, it is going to open probably the first quarter of next year. Uh, it is moving quickly. And we are still raising funds for that. So, um, you know, there's ties, which uh, it's the first 10% of whatever you receive, but then there's offerings. And I really want to encourage you guys just to prayerfully think about giving. Um, I know it's a young crowd and you're just getting established financially, but I'm so into that project. It's really, uh, uh, it's going to be amazing. Uh, it's really good soil and um, we obviously need it. Look around. Yes, I got here this morning at I got here this morning at seven. It was right after eight, and uh, there was a line of a hundred people for our ten a.m. And by nine, it was all the way to manufacturing. It's crazy how little space we have. So we need more space. We've been praying these walls would move, and they haven't yet. Um, so I think God has led us to this property in South Dallas. It's on the edge of South Dallas. It's going to be such a cool neighborhood uh, to shine brightly for the Lord. Um, there's just so much opportunity for us to impact the city at large. And this building is designed by one of the uh, lead architects in the nation. Um, I <clears throat> casted the vision uh, about two years ago, and he was listening to a worship moment that someone had sent him, which bled into the message. And he heard about uh, where we're going and our vision to bridge North and South Dallas. And he was provoked. And, um, this man started, uh, the sports and entertainment division for HKS, which is an international architectural firm. Uh, his first stadium that he designed was the Milwaukee Brewers in the late nineties. Since that time he did the Minnesota Vikings. He's done the Indianapolis Colts. He did the Cowboys stadium. And then their latest project was SoFi in Southern California, where the Super Bowl was held last year, SoFi. Have y'all heard of SoFi? It's like a really, really cool. So the team that designed all of those sports stadiums has been designing our new building, which is awesome. And uh, he said, I've built cathedrals for sports teams. People tell me I've built cathedrals for sports teams my whole life. And the Lord told me it's time to build a cathedral for him. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so... Um, it is, it's, it's going to be fairly iconic downtown, just the architectural alone. Um, the first man ever mentioned in the scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit, his name was Bezalel. Bezalel. And uh, uh, he, was, he was an artist. He took what Moses received from the Lord and he was filled with wisdom to be a craftsman to design the tabernacle of God. And so we have a modern day Bezalel that's uh, designing our building. And I'm super stoked about it. So I just say all that. I don't know if someone's watching online, overflow, but uh, please give. We, we need something supernatural to happen for us to pay for our building by that time. Um, we're in faith for it. And so I want you to pray. If you come here regularly, you need to pray daily for this process and for this project. And then if you have means to give, give. Um, if you know someone wealthy, ask them to give. If you know someone really, really wealthy, ask them especially to give. Just kidding. Lighten up. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, okay. I have a word for you tonight. Um, I, I really, I, well, I really am serious. So if you do know someone wealthy and you feel faith, ask them. It's really good soil. Look at all these millennials in here and Gen Zers. Like, um, this place is, is alive, and uh, it's such an honor to pastor you. It's such an honor to see your hunger. And, uh, and so I, I believe tonight the Lord's going to encounter you um, through the word. Uh, I, I believe that this will be a very clear presentation of what forgiveness is. And forgiveness is so central to our faith. 
If we don't know how to faith, if we don't know how to faith, if we don't know how to forgive, if you don't know how to forgive, if you don't know practically how to walk in forgiveness, you will bear minimal fruit as a Christian. You'll bear minimal fruit. Your inability to forgive and process the pain that you've been through will determine the fruit that you bear as a believer. And uh, uh, I, I just, I'm passionate about equipping this room especially because if you can get these tools early on, um, it will help you in your future marriage. It will help you in your future relationships, your ability to deal with offenses, with pain that life will cause. How many in this room have been hurt by someone? Oh, there's a bunch of hands that aren't raised. Hallelujah. They were raised in a bubble. Um, <clears throat> well, last week I talked about forgiveness and um, specifically we started, we started where unforgiveness leads to and it's bitterness. And an embittered heart uh, is, is actually a, a very, you're very destructive if you're bitter. You're, you're not only destructive to yourself, you're destructive to anyone that gets around you. Uh, it's poison, not just for you, but it defiles everyone that gets around you. Um, the pain that you're experiencing, you will project that pain onto others. And it's self-protective because you've been hurt and you haven't been healed from that hurt. But the beauty of the gospel is that um, Jesus took on that pain. He took on that hurt. He took on all that we could not so that we could walk with him and he could do what only he can in our hearts. And, uh, and so forgiveness, it is how you get into the kingdom. Uh, because he initiated that with you. We serve a forgiving God. Now that should get an amen. Our God is very gracious, merciful, and forgiving. It's what initiated your relationship with him. You did not initiate a relationship with God. God initiated a relationship with you 2,000 years ago. And it was him expressing his love to you by offering his son to reconcile you back to him. And forgiveness is the transaction where he removes the stain, he removes the record of your past, and he declares you guilt-free, he declares you innocent. And it's by forgiveness that that happens. And we are called to embody that same heart towards the world. We're called, as we've been forgiven, to forgive. In fact, to the extent that you do forgive, is the revelation of your understanding of your own forgiveness. And there's a number of people we need to forgive in the world, but the two most important start with you forgiving God, if you need to, because he takes the blame for a lot, and you forgiving yourself. How would you blame God? Well, if something happened, if a tragedy happened, if loss happened, if something that you expected didn't turn out the way that you thought it would, well, if he's sovereign and he's in control, then why did this happen to me? And it's really easy to shut our hearts off first to the Lord. And so forgiving the Lord, it's not like he needs our forgiveness, but sometimes we need to acknowledge that we've established an offense towards the Lord and then forgiveness towards ourselves. Forgiveness for what we've done, forgiveness for things that we said, um, forgiveness for things that we participated in. Uh, and for me, I, this week, we went to the branch, which is um, just north of town. I was on staff there for four years. I met Larissa at the branch. We had this blowout worship night. It was really powerful. But the media director came up to me and he goes, hey, Michael, I found this uh, a couple of years back and you guys don't know what this is. But before you had a camera on your phone, there were these things called camcorders. This is a camcorder. And Larissa got a camcorder in 2007 for a mission trip that we were going on to Uganda. And uh, on this camcorder was that mission trip and then one significant event that happened between Larissa and I, because at the end of that trip, I pulled her out of the line at the airport and uh, the team went on and we hopped on a train and I took her to downtown London. And uh, I had a plan to take her to dinner and then I was going to propose to her to marry me. And we went to Hyde Park, which Hyde Park is this massive park in London. Uh, it leads to Buckingham Palace. We found Hyde Park after we did dinner in Notting Hill because I've seen the movie and I thought Notting Hill would be a great place to start. And so I know, I'm showing game here. I'm not a rookie. And, uh, and so we went, we went to dinner and then I was so nervous. We walked around Hyde Park for like, 30 minutes and I'm trying to find the right place. It's getting dark. And I finally get down on a knee. I pull the ring out. I drop the ring. I pick up the ring. I grab her wrong hand. 
I put the ring on the wrong finger and I said, I want you to be Miss Miller. Will you marry me? And she's, you know, breaks down crying, says yes. And so the whole time I'm like doing this, you know, like this is how you took selfies with this thing. You took selfies like this. You so, so I'm filming it. And, uh, and so this week, this footage shows up at my house and I'm like, can we figured this out. We figured it out. We put it on the television and we began watching our engagement. Now here's what's unique about our engagement is eight weeks after that event that happened in Hyde Park, I broke off our engagement in a pretty untimely manner. I broke off our engagement the week of our wedding. And I'm not going to tell that full story. I should looking at some of your faces. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to tell the full story. It's it's a beautiful story of redemption. It's a beautiful story of two broken people that two wounded people that wounded one another. And we got healed by the Lord. We got married in June of 2008. So we're about to celebrate 15 years of marriage. And I'm telling you our, yeah. And our marriage, our marriage, um, our marriage has been been awesome. I mean, we, we, we literally every year gets better. It has just been a glorious thing, a glorious covenant. But I look at the health of our marriage and I see the thing, the the, the season that we walk through that pain, that embarrassment, the shame that I caused Larissa, um, us coming out on the other side with Jesus, we came out whole and we also came out one. We came out unified, but And Larissa, honestly, to this day, she's never once like said, do you remember when you broke off the engagement? Like she's never used that against me once in our marriage. It's just, it's not a thing. It is so in our past. But here's what happened this week. As I'm watching this video, the season that we're doing forgiveness, as I'm watching the video and I see this 30 year old Michael Miller talking about God and God's goodness and we're in covenant and God's just so amazing. And I'm just saying all these things, knowing eight weeks later, I'm going to end up in one of the worst places I had ever been emotionally. Just, uh, I struggled with anxiety and depression and I was, I was, went into a tailspin. And so as I'm listening to this guy, I all of a sudden felt in my heart, this anger towards him. I felt this, this feeling inside my heart about, oh, you are such a young, wounded kid. And I started to see myself for who I was in that moment. And the Holy Spirit said, can you forgive that guy? (laughs) Can you forgive that guy for, for, for what he did and look at who he's become? And I, I honestly, I, I didn't think I've like have a lot of unforgiveness towards myself, but I got to, I got to practice what I preach. And I, found some time with the Lord and I had a conversation with him about forgiving myself and just any inner anger I had still towards myself for that season and for that moment. And here's the truth, guys, you may not have an actual camcorder with footage of your past, but God has given you something called a memory. And in your soul, there's a memory chip that records seasons of pain that was inflicted upon you. And you make judgments based upon that season that whether you know it or not, they have an impact today. And the beauty of God's grace is that God's grace takes that which once was bitter. And he has an ability to make it really, really sweet. And the sweetness that comes out of it isn't necessarily restored marriage and kids and babies. Like maybe that will happen. But the sweetness for me, as I look back and I see the faithfulness of Jesus, and I now have a knowledge of Jesus in that pain that made something extremely hard and bittersweet. But it was forgiveness that ushered me into that. And I want to set hearts free tonight. I want to set you free from the pain of the past, from ways that you've been wronged, because in a room this size, there's people that have been wronged. There's people you've been victims. There's people in here that have been abused. There's people that have been mistreated. There's people that have been spoken to in foul ways. There's people here who had parents that weren't saved and didn't treat you like they were. 
Um, there's people in here that were mistreated by men, men who used women. There's people in here who, who used women. And you regret those decisions. There's a past in this room. And the gospel is sufficient for the past that you've been through, but you have to apply the gospel. You have to administer the grace that is readily available. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, we looked at it last week, but Paul said, make sure you don't fall short of the grace that's been provided for you. And a root of bitterness does not spring up in your heart because that bitterness will poison your heart. And if you have a poisoned heart, you have a poisoned life. And he came to give you life and life abundantly. And so he dials in on those bitter places and he says, I died for that. And I wanna heal you of that. But let me tell you that, that, that this process of forgiveness is not an easy one. And I know in this room, we love the shut up, 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 you know, like, like the instant and suddenly, which is biblical. But what I've learned about unforgiveness and the need to forgive is that this thing is a daily practice. It's part of the Lord's prayer. You're to pray it daily. When Jesus was asked, how should I pray? And he told his disciples, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he lists some things off about daily bread. But one of the things he says is forgive us this day. Well, forgive us our sins this day as we what? Forgive those who sin against us. And if we pray that in the morning, what it's doing is it's equipping us for the wrongs we will experience, for the pains that we will encounter. And I didn't know when I prayed it on Wednesday that I would get a camcorder and I would have to apply that prayer to myself. But it's a daily thing. If forgiveness is entry into the kingdom, forgiveness is actually the oxygen that we breathe. It's something we have to regularly receive from the Lord and it's something we have to be empowered to regularly give to others. And so tonight, I, I want to lay out very clearly what the steps of forgiveness are so that you can know where you are in maybe a wonky relationship. Like that one person that if they walked into this room right now, you would manifest internally. Like you, you, would, you would begin to go, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're here. You would avoid them in a room. You see them on your social media feed and you cringe. You judge them. You have this narrative that's going on inside of your head. That tells me that there's an area in your heart that needs to issue forgiveness. And I'll, I'll give you some, some really clear definitions of what that is tonight. Um, <clears throat> aged anger, so pain produces anger, right? If someone does you wrong, you get angry. Yes? And if the anger is not dealt with, when it ages, it becomes bitter. And one of the things you're dealing with, if you're embittered at all, I didn't mention this a lot last week, but I wanted to mention it this week, is you're dealing with demonic influence. There's a spirit realm that's real. There's angels, there's demons. And demons, uh, they need entry points into your life. The spirit realm is a realm of legalities. Everyone say legalities. That's why Jesus said, all authority has been given to me because he took it back from the devil. Now, the devil is the God of this world. He's the God of this age. And he has an army and that army is to take you out. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. And so there's gateways, there's entry points that if we have not fully dealt with them, he can get a foothold into our heart. Now, the three main things, I've been a pastor for 23 years, three main things I have seen that influence, uh, where demonic influence is present. Uh, the first one, these aren't in any order, I think. It's probably in descending order. The first one is hallucinations, like drugs, recreational drugs. If you're doing recreational drugs, if you're doing any type of hallucinogens, you are dealing with the demonic realm. You are opening your soul up to the demonic realm. The Greek word for witchcraft is pharmagia. It's where we get the, the word pharmacy. And if you're dealing with mind-altering drugs and in a room this size, with all the current THC and everything else that's available to you, I wanna warn you that you're dealing, you're playing in the demonic realm. Your soul is, is opening up to demonic influence and it will hang out for a long time. Demons do not make great pets. They don't, you don't wanna have a pet demon. And a door open means you do. So 
those, those activities, one, uh, two would be uh, sexual immorality, sexual immorality, um, sex outside of marriage, uh, opens you up. And then, uh, the other one that I think is probably the most destructive and, um, and destroys a soul is bitterness, bitterness. And Paul says in Ephesians four, he says, uh, be angry, but don't let the sun go down on it for you'll give the devil a foothold into your heart. And so this issue will liberate you from demonic influence as well. Uh, and I just think it's worth acknowledging that if you are choosing to walk in bitterness and unforgiveness, you're actually choosing to partner with a demonic spirit. So it's a sobering topic. And the beauty of this is once you get born again, you're seated in Christ. You're seated in heavenly places. So you go from the bottom of the totem pole to the top because now you're in the one who has all authority. And it's by his word and his spirit that we apply these things and we walk in freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and the truth will set you free. Does this make sense? Okay. So let me take you to two scriptures tonight. Um, uh, the first is Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 18. We love our Bibles, do we not? Yeah. Say, I love my Bible. <laughs> my Bible is my weapon. We'll be in verse 23. This is the premier teaching from Jesus on forgiveness. And there's, there's five steps. There's five things that the master does to the slave that I want to point out to you. And these five things happen whenever total forgiveness is walked out. And I want you to walk in total forgiveness, not just some forgiveness, but total forgiveness. And so I'm going to unpack that tonight, what total forgiveness is. Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one. Now in my Bible, I have that word one circled and I put me beside it because this is a parable for all of us and we are all this slave. There's one who owed him 10,000 talents and that one was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay his Lord, he commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before his master saying, have patience with me. I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. He seized him, began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and did just what he did prior to his master. He said, have patience with me and I will repay you. But this man was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, this was a witness to them. They were deeply grieved and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his own heart. So this is the story of salvation. And this is a story that we all find ourselves in because we're all in debt. You are that slave that owed the 10,000 talents and you have a master that's merciful. But I wanna show you how his mercy was applied. And in this story, I think we find how we practically walk out forgiveness. And so I'm going to give you five points for what forgiveness is. And if you have a phone, if you have a notebook, please take notes on this. You may not need it in this season, but I guarantee you, you will need these five steps at some point. You will go, what did Miller talk about on that Sunday when it came to forgiveness? 
because these are practical steps, like the most practical steps. I had a guy, it's one of our elders, he's been a counselor for uh, many, many, many years. He's Yoda in the spirit, like counseling world. And he said, this is one of the best teachings on forgiveness he's heard because of these steps and how practical it is. And so I'm not, I really feel like the Holy Spirit gave me these. And I want to encourage you to write them down. I want to encourage you to take these and to apply them to ways that you've been wronged. Um, So the first one is this, acknowledge the pain and the blame. Acknowledge the pain and the blame. Acknowledge the pain and the blame. In this story, we see that the king was settling accounts with each individual. And it says one owed him. So there was one person that owed him. And he didn't just owe him some money. He owed him a lot of money. And this person was to blame for the amount that he owed. I don't know the arrangement, but there was an arrangement that said, I will give you X amount if you repay it. And it was this man's fault that he was unable to pay him back. Now, let let me tell you, the the, the pain and the blame are very specific in this story. Um, The the number that's mentioned, 10,000 talents, means nothing to us. It means nothing to us. And it means actually nothing in our monetary current currency. So we have to, we have to use some type of figures to interpret how much this guy owes. And so a talent, a talent back then would have been 15 years of labor. So 15 annual incomes added into one, that's one talent. And then you multiply that times 10,000. That's a lot of money. So I I just did a little math, just as, as an example, if you made $60,000 a year, $60,000 a year. And you multiply that times 15, you get $900,000. Now that's one talent, but it was 10,000 talents. You have to multiply 900,000 times 10,000. That's a lot of money. It's $9 trillion. That's more than most nations GDP. Like that is, that is, that is more money than anyone could pay back in multiple lifetimes. It is an insurmountable debt. It is something he could not pay back. And I think Jesus used this number for a reason. I think he used this for a reason because he's making it an example to everyone is that is the glory that we fell short of the gap between us and God. It was so much that no one could bridge it. He's making this a point. So you have to see yourself owing God $9 trillion more or less. Are you with me? And so he acknowledged the, the blame and he acknowledged the pain. And even this king, I don't know how wealthy he was, but a $9 trillion debt is painful. <laughs> it's painful. And so he acknowledges it to this one man. And so the second thing um, that he does, he acknowledges the pain, he acknowledges the blame, he associates it with this one person. The second thing that he does is, is and the second thing we have to do, is we have to uh, identify with their humanity. We have to identify with their humanity. So in this story, in this story, you see, but since he did not have means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife, children, and all that he had, and repayment would be made. So this man wasn't just a man. This man was a husband. This man was a father. This man was someone that owned things. I'm assuming he owned businesses. I'm assuming he owned different things. And when he's pleading with the king, I'm sure he's pleading on behalf, not just of himself, but his kids, not just on behalf of himself, but on on himself, but his wife. I'm sure it got very personal in that pleading. And I think the king saw that not only is this person to blame and not only is he the one that caused pain, but he's a broken man and he's in need of mercy. Why is this important? Because you find yourself in the story. You find your humanity in it. You find your own brokenness in it. And so we acknowledge the pain and blame. We identify uh, with their humanity. And then the next step, number three, in the process of forgiving is when we're forgiving someone, we refuse to take revenge. We refuse to enforce penalty. We We refuse to punish the person that wronged us. Punishment is put on the shelf. It's actually destroyed. It's buried. You refuse to take revenge. In this story, this man deserved prison. 
He deserved, to, he deserved to be sold, his family to be sold, his possession to be sold. The penalty was high for this man, but the mercy and forgiveness extended to him removed the penalty from him. So a part of forgiveness is refusing to take revenge, refusing to enforce that penalty. There's a phrase called to bury the hatchet. You ever heard that? I'm just going to bury the hatchet. Well, that's a, it's, a, it's an old English idiom, and it's from, uh, actually, in America when the Eastern settlers came, and uh, they were at uh, war with the native Indians. And the phrase, bury the hatchet, it was once peace came bet- between the tribes and the people on the Eastern coast, the new settlers. And the, the idea is that the tomahawks that they would use to fight, they were going to bury the hatchets. They were going to bury the tomahawks and settle the hostility, settle the, the need to inflict pain based on a wrong. They were burying that. And what I found is that a lot of believers in their process of forgiveness, the, the handle of the hatchet is just sticking up the ground about that much. <laughs> like I've kind of buried it, but don't tick me off again. But forgiveness is, is, is refusing to take revenge. It's refusing to enforce penalty. Um, the next one is, is probably the most challenging one. Well, the next two are very challenging. Um, the next one is, is, is when you choose to forgive, you're choosing to willingly endure the pain that they caused. Willingly enduring caused pain. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, in this story, it means something. The guy owned $9 trillion to his master. And so the master forgiving the slave he was incurring the debt. He was incurring the consequences of someone's actions. And again, it's $9 trillion. And I don't know the ledger that this guy operated from, but I'm certain that line item had a hit on that year's income. What's my point? My point is just because someone is forgiven, just because you forgive someone doesn't mean it automatically removes the pain. The consequences of their actions may remain, and you may have to deal with those actions, but you're willingly and voluntarily saying, I will endure this pain that you caused me. Now, ultimately what you're doing is because, and we'll get there in a second, is you're entrusting that pain to the one that forgave you. Because forgiveness doesn't start horizontally, it starts vertically. And that's why this this story is so powerful but we have to willingly endure caused pain. And then the last one, this is the last step in you knowing that you've truly forgiven uh, someone is that you can actually pray for and extend blessing to the offender. You can extend blessing to them. You, you really want their well-being. Do we need to pray for an Amber Alert? Lord, find that kid in Jesus' name. We just declare, Lord. Find the kid, oh God, right now in Jesus' name to patch, dispatch angels. Go get them, God, in Jesus' name. Go get them. Amen and amen. We're multitasking. <clears throat> so those are the five steps. Uh, and, and the truth is, it, it's like, I. okay, that's awesome. We're, we're going to talk about another story that will give you some more practical ways to do this. But here, here's the sad part of this story is the one that was forgiven the three, nine trillion dollars. Um, he, he ran into a, a, another slave and this slave owed him a hundred denarii. Now a hundred denarii, according to the footnotes in my Bible is one day's wage. It's one day's wage. So what's one day's wage? In my, in my example of a $60,000 salary, it would be somewhere around $168.38. Little debt. But we see how he responded to the one that owed him. He threw him into prison. He wasn't willing to extend the forgiveness and mercy that he was given. And so you've got to look at him and go, well, what was wrong with him? Well, the forgiveness that was issued to him first did not transform him. 
And Jesus uses this same analogy in Luke chapter seven. We love our Bibles. Do you love your Bible? I love my Bible. Luke chapter seven has this same analogy. And in verse 40, can you throw that up there? Luke seven, verse 40. Um, this is about a woman that's worshiping. Uh, this is about a woman that bro- she crashed a party. You're familiar with this if you've been at the upper room at any amount of time. We talk about this story quite a bit. It's about rightly loving Jesus. And it's a woman that broke an alabaster jar at Jesus's feet. She offends the host of the party and he starts judging Jesus and Jesus moves into this analogy. And it fits the story that we're talking about tonight because it's the same metaphor. Uh, Simon, I have something to say to you, he said. Say it, teacher. It says a money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So again, a sum of money that was owed, neither one could pay. They were both unable to repay. So guess what? He graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Now, Jesus is pointing to something here because he's pointing to how forgiveness transforms you. He's pointing that forgiveness should produce something in your heart. And uh, the man said, um, you know, which one will will love him more? And then Simon answers, I suppose uh, the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. And then he goes into this, this, this story, turning towards the woman. He said, uh, do you see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she hasn't stopped wetting my feet with her tears. You gave me no oil for my head, but she broke oil and poured it out on me. You gave me no kisses, but she hasn't stopped kissing me. Jesus is saying that she rightly loved me. She rightly responded to me based on what I had given her love. Now, oftentimes when we talk about who's forgiven more, who's forgiven less, sometimes we talk about the dude that's in jail, the dude that has this crazy testimony. I can't believe he got saved. It's like, oh my gosh, of course he loves more than me. Look at what he's been through. But that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is we all owed $9 trillion. And there's some of us that are better receivers of that forgiveness than others. And to the degree that you understand what you've been forgiven of is the degree that you will express love to others. It's a vertical thing. And listen, it's a supernatural thing. Forgiveness is not something you can do in your flesh. It's not something you can do in the natural. It's something that he initiated with you. And then based on this story, it produces a love and the love shouldn't first go towards other people. The love goes back to the one that forgave you. So it's a love received and then you give that love back. And as you love him, he then empowers you to love others. It works itself through your heart. In the same way he initiated forgiveness with you, then he initiates with you to forgive others the same way he forgave you. So it's he who initiates the forgiveness first, but he continues to initiate that forgiveness with all of those pains and wrongs that you've encountered. This is the Christian life. It's not an option for the Christian to forgive. I can't forgive them. That should never be in a Christian's mouth. I can't forgive them. You're right. You can't. But there's one who lives in you that died for that person. Does that mean you need to trust that person? Does that mean you need to walk with them? Does that mean you need to be their accountability partner? Does that mean you even need to talk to them? No, it means none of those things, but it means you're going to entrust that person to the one who forgave you because he is way more capable of administering justice and correction and restitution to that person than you are. This is good preaching. Listen, we live in a charged culture. We live in a culture that's so angry and a root of bitterness is set in. Politically, I am so looking forward to next year, an election year. It's the bait of bitterness. And listen, I like this, this whole month is it's it. There's, there's a level of injustice that I sense around what's being propagated towards children around things that are on, even at our white house some things that are being celebrated and just how disproportionate it is right now, how much propaganda is out there. There is a righteous anger inside of many of our hearts. Understand that. But The problem is, is that when you see an injustice or a wrong and anger hits your heart, what takes place is you project that anger onto someone. 
Like if you, if you work with the poor, here's what you have to guard your heart against. If you work with the poor, if you work with the needy, you have to guard your heart from becoming embittered and angry towards the rich. If you work with the rich, you have to be uh, really careful and you have to guard your heart that you don't become embittered with those that don't work. This plays out a ton of different ways. If, if you're a part of the red party and not the blue, if you're part of the blue party and not the red, like, like Satan, I don't think cares which side of the aisle you're on. I think what Satan wants to do is Satan wants you to abdicate. You know what the word abdicate means? He wants you to abdicate your authority and the virtues of Christ and your response to you addressing that issue. He wants you to take it up into your own hands. And man, this culturally is, it's rampant right now. And the idea of forgiveness culturally, like we've moved so far from Judeo Christian values. And as we've gotten away from this, this is the premier, this is the premier virtue of the Bible. It's love, but it's loved expressed through forgiveness. And the further we get away from that, the more the victim gains status for the wrong that they've endured. And forgiveness, if you forgive, you give up that status. And man, I am, that's why this forgiveness stuff is so important. We're not, we're not denying the pain. We're not denying the blame. We're just saying that outside of the gospel, the anger of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. And a side note on our narrative is how it ends. Because for the one that didn't forgive, guess what? He not only threw the dude in jail, which was an injustice in itself in light of how he was treated, but he came back before his master and his master said, put him in prison and let him be tortured. That is saying that if you walk in a spirit of bitterness, the torturers are present. <laughs> And you're tortured by what they did and you think it's actually hurting them, but you're actually in your own self-confined prison. And you're letting them live rent-free, not only in your present, but in your future. And it's time we evict those people. It's not, they're not worth it. You guys in a good mood? Hey, uh, let me give you some, some ringers here. So forgiveness and feelings. Um, you will never feel like forgiving. I heard this quote, hurt feelings don't usually line up with holy instruction, <laughs> but your feelings will catch up. That's why he makes the bitter things sweet. And so forgiveness is a work. Forgiveness is, it starts as a choice, but then it becomes a daily process. Um, forgiveness is not ignoring. It's not it's not condoning, it's not excusing, it's not tolerating. Forgiveness isn't even reconciliation. Reconciliation should be the goal, but we're not talking about reconciliation. We're talking about you getting free from the one you need to be reconciled with. Forgiveness is the first step. Forgiveness is not trust. Trust is earned, forgiveness is given. Forgiveness is the gift that we give. Trust, though, is something that's earned once it's broke. You following me? Here's some questions I received this week that I just want to make sure I run through and then I'm going to give you one more example and then we're all going to get delivered. So questions to address. Um, what if the person doesn't ask for forgiveness? That was asked this week. Um, guess what? The answer is you still forgive. Uh, Jesus said in 1 Peter 2.23, when he was rivaled, he did not rival in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to one who dredged. Um, you forgiving is you entrusting it to the Lord. Um, Jesus said to love your enemies, to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who abuse you. Those are enemies. And just because you're blessing them doesn't stop them from being your enemies. Uh, wow. Okay. Do we need to tell the person that we forgive them? Um, I, I want to just... No two situations are the same, but I, I would encourage you, um, you don't need to tell the person that you forgave them. If they're in your life and you can confront them, if they're in your life and you can process and walk through them with it, um, have the conversation. But if they're not in your life, there's no reason to pick up your phone and tell them. There's no reason to revisit something that happened in the past. It, it, it's, that, that phone call is actually more about you than it is them. 
Oftentimes we're like, well, I'm healed and I'm whole and I know I shouldn't have done that. And you call them and you resurface that pain in their heart and they may not be able to walk through it as you currently are. And oftentimes it has more to do with you than them, but you can still forgive them and bless them. You following me? Um, What if the offenders refuse to meet with you or listen to you or continue to try to attack you? Um, This is... This is a different answer. It's you still forgive them. (laughs) You have to remain willing to forgive. The answer is going to be the same. Um, Even when they continue to propagate or just to, to, to share with others what you did or misrepresent a situation, you still forgive them. You don't let them handcuff you by continued accusation. And forgiveness sends them back. The word forgiveness actually means to send back, to reject, to give back. You're not going to accept it. You're not going to make bond with that offense and pain. You're breaking the bond and you're giving it back. And so if they continue to be in that place of offense, you, 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 you bless them. You pray for them. Um, what if the offender has broken the law, abuse, or assault in the workplace, relationship, or children? Um, there's two things. One, uh, your, your actions and the actions of others, especially if they break the law, have consequences and they have to face those consequences. And so you can fully and thoroughly report them. And I believe they should be unless the Holy Spirit tells you they shouldn't. And you should probably receive counsel before you make that decision because justice executed by one that's offended gets wonky. You want to entrust it to authorities. That's why we have civil authorities. That's why the church is actually a government to handle sin to handle the wrongs and to attempt to bring reconciliation spiritually and ultimately reconciliation within the community. That's the goal. But oftentimes it can't be determined by the one that's been offended. Uh, what if the person wronged you is dead? That was something that came up. Um, different question, same answer. Forgive. You can forgive them, but they're gone. I know, but they're not gone in your heart. Their, their memory and what they did is still alive. And so you forgiving is to send them back. And how do you bless them? You, you pray for their family. I remember my grandmother, I had the honor and privilege of leading my grandmother to the Lord at 96 years old, 96. She was in a, a living, assisted living facility. Uh, she grew up in the great depression. Um, she was pretty embittered because what she had been through. And so when we talked to her about forgiveness in this topic, um, my grandfather died in his late fifties. And so my grandmother's 96, that's 40, around 40 years of her harboring hurt and pain from her husband. So the one person she needed to forgive was my grandfather, whom I never knew. And so when we, uh, you know, got her born again, she prayed the prayer. She was like worshiping and we're teaching her about the Bible. And then this topic of forgiveness came up. And we were like, if there's anyone that you need to forgive as you've been forgiven, who would it be? And she said, well, it'd be Carl, be my my husband, but he's dead. I said, well, we called her mom. Mom, what what do you think we could do? And she goes, I don't know. And I said, well, what if we wrote him a letter? And so one afternoon, my mom and I went and sat with my 96 year old born again, grandmom, who's just a little baby in the faith. And she tells us the letter she would write to my grandfather. And she associated the blame. She identified that he was a sinner. <laughs> she walked through all the steps. And then we wrote it all out. It was this beautiful letter. And, and so we're reading it to her. And we put, love, Leon. Her name was Leon. And she loved everything about the letter. She's a funny lady. But she said, can you just take the love part out? <laughs> and, uh, and so we did. But, but here, here's, here's, here's my point is that is that there was, there was fruit of her repentance. There was fruit that she had been born again because she issued forgiveness to my grandfather at 96. And my grandfather had been dead 40 years. So forgiveness is, uh, is, is important even in those situations. Can we go to one last scripture? You still love your Bibles? Okay, Genesis chapter 45. This revelation is sauce boss. This revelation, it is, man. If you don't know about that category of revelation, this is revelation. The Lord hit me with this in my heart. I was thinking about where radical moments of forgiveness happened in the Bible. And I don't know next to Jesus hanging on the cross, which, you know, I was looked at Jesus receiving forgiveness from Peter or Peter receiving forgiveness for Jesus. But, but Genesis 45 to me takes the cake here. And, uh, 
Genesis 45, it's Joseph. And Joseph's brother had sold him into slavery. You're familiar with the story. Uh, they told the dad that he was killed by an animal, threw him in a pit, ultimately ends up in Egypt, sold into slavery. And uh, he goes to prison. He works his way through the prison guard, gains favor with Potiphar, ends up being Pharaoh's right hand. He's the second uh, hi- highest ranking official in the Egyptian empire next to Pharaoh. And so Joseph's brothers, those show up to Joseph because there's a famine in the land. And in verse one, Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out and he cries out, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now these are the brothers again that sold him into slavery. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it as well. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please, please come closer. <coughs> and they came closer, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into uh, Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you have sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will neither be plowing or harvesting. God sent me here to preserve for you a remnant uh, in the earth to keep you alive by a great deliverance. And he actually establishes this region called Goshen, which is where the Israelites were leading, living when Moses came. So this leads actually to the exodus of Moses. But I, I, I took those five points that I found in Matthew 18 and I applied them to the story of Joseph. And I just want to show you how Joseph administered forgiveness uh, to his brothers. First, he acknowledged the pain and the blame. Remember, that's point number one. How did he do that? He tells his brothers, I am Joseph and I am your brother whom you sold into slavery. He does not ignore what they did. They sold him into slavery. You caused me this pain. You're the reason I'm in Egypt. You're the one that sold me. So he, he identifies uh, the, he acknowledges the pain and the blame. Then he identifies with their humanity. He also says, um, he also says that I'm Joseph, your brother. I'm your brother. I'm still your brother. I'm still of, of kinship with you. We still have the same father. Then you see that he refuses to take revenge. Um, I think one of the reasons he cleared out the room at the beginning of the story, he removed his associates because if his associates knew what his brothers had done to him, they would have avenged his blood. And I think they cleared out the room to, uh, so that there would not be reproach upon his family. And he wanted to deal with it one-on-one. So he refuses to take revenge. He could have had them killed in the, on the spot. Um, he willingly endured inflicted pain. Listen, decades of slavery, imprisonment, his whole life was defined by their trial, but he refused to let it define him. And I love how he points to God's will through his pain. He said, God sent me here. Even though he acknowledged you, you sold me into slavery, you caused me this pain, but look, God used it and he made the bitter thing sweet because I'm Pharaoh's assistant. So he willingly endured that. And not only he doesn't stop there again, this is a vulnerable place. He could have like, he could have done some damage to these boys, but you know what he says? He actually leads them through inner healing. He says this, he says, no, 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 no. Do not be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. God actually sent me here. He's already starting to issue not only forgiveness to them, but lead them in them forgiving themselves. This is a dude who had major heart work up into this moment. He was ready for the moment because of how the Lord had tended to his heart. And then you see how he actually leads, uh, uh, leads them to blessing. He blesses them by, by providing for them in the famine and giving them Goshen. The, the whole family comes up and he literally saves generations of his lineage because of his kindness and goodness towards them. These five steps were laid out. Isn't that powerful? Here's two other things that I want to highlight in this story. and It's how I want to end. Um, and one, this isn't in the notes of actually forgiving the, the person, but it would fit under number four, not in, uh, uh, willingly enduring the pain is another thing. When, when Joseph clears the room out, uh, not only do I think he was protecting his brothers uh, by not uh, allowing them to avenge the wrong that had been not done to him. I think this is another dynamic to forgiveness and probably the most challenging one for me personally is I've determined of the pain and wrong and those that I've forgiven, I've determined I will not talk about it anymore. 
I refuse to talk about it with other people. I'm not going to talk about it. There's situations in my life that have been public. There's situations in my life where people have felt wrong by the upper room. There's people that, I mean, look at a room this size. People can take up offense at a church. People get hurt. And I hate that. And I, I try to do my best to own what I can. But when people ask me about certain people, and we need to be the same. If you've forgiven them, stop talking about it. Because you talking about it, oftentimes, your tongue's a great weapon. And you're actually somehow manipulating or from the pain that's still in your heart, targeting them and attempting to ruin a reputation or just to triangulate a little bit so you can taint the view. And that person that pains you, maybe people will know, well, that person's just not that safe. According to who? Now, listen, if, 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 if the pain is deep and you need to process it, pick somebody, preferably a counselor, but pick someone that that's authoritative in your life. That's older and wiser. And you can process that with them, but you don't need to process with all your friends. You need to let it go. There's people that make ministries out of this. We call it discernment in the body of Christ. It's bitterness covered in makeup. Don't talk about it. And one thing we do in the body of Christ is also redirect conversations. Hey, I just, I probably don't need to know that information. Man, to the bitter, bitterness is easily justifiable to the bitter. And I know that it's hard. (laughs) It's not easy. But I think when we willingly submit and choose, the grace of Jesus empowers us to get to where we can't get to. The last point I want to make, and I think this is, this is the saucy bossy part that I was talking about. Remember I said it's saucy bossy. You're like, that's not too saucy bossy. This will be saucy bossy. Like what's saucy bossy? I don't know. Here's the saucy bossy part. It's verse three. Look at this. Look at this. Verse three. This is the first thing Joseph said says, oh man, it moves me. He said, I'm Joseph. He identifies himself. And then he says, is my father still alive? The first person he asks about is his dad. Why is that so significant? Because I believe it was the key to Joseph landing in the place that he landed. I believe he kept before him the love of his father. I believe the love of Jacob, his father. He gave him the coat of many colors. I believe the the love that he received from Jacob sustained him and the love from his father actually allowed him to forgive his brothers. And listen, this is the gospel because the love of the father sustained another brother. And he was nailed to a tree. And when he was on that tree and the pain was inflicted, he did not look to those inflicting pain saying, I forgive you. Do you know what he did? He looked to his father and he said, Father, you forgive them. Because it was the Father's love propelling him to be the firstborn among many brethren. What is this? It's a consciousness of the Father's love. It's a consciousness of what the Father had initiated. It's a consciousness of how the Father views you and how the Father views his sons and daughters. And if we've received forgiveness from our Father, surely we can forgive our brothers and sisters. This is the gospel. So what camcorder is still charged in your memory bank? I'm chunking the cord of that camcorder because I don't care to see that video again. It's dead. And may it remain dead. But some of you have kept the power cord. (laughs) And it's time for you to fully surrender the memory of that pain and to issue forgiveness to the person that's hurt you. And I know this is no small step. It's a massive step. 
but it's a step you take by faith. And if you'll move an inch, the Lord will move a mile. If you'll take a step close to him, he will take leaps and bounds to meet you in that place. And he first does it with his peace. He does it with his joy. And he gives you fresh perspective and leverage over that pain that you can give to him and entrust to your father. So I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to ask if there's anyone in this room that you need to forgive. Holy Spirit, I wanna start with two specific people. Can we just have a little deliverance session? Holy Spirit, search our hearts. The image that I have is that your heart is a garden. And there's parts of the garden that are flourishing. There's parts of the garden that are alive. There's relationships that are alive. There's joys, there's purpose. But there's parts of your heart that have deadened over time. And it's because of the pain inflicted. And I just wanna ask the Holy Spirit to search the garden of your heart and to address any patches, any dead spots in the grass. And these places that just need to be kissed with his grace from the pains and wrongs that you've been through are the pains and the wrongs that you've done. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to highlight. And maybe through the pains of the past, you've taken up offense towards God. Maybe there's a situation or circumstance that turned out a way and you've actually taken offense because you feel like God let that happen. Because God's to blame for that pain. And if you need to forgive God, you can forgive God. He doesn't actually need your forgiveness, but some of us need to acknowledge that we've established an offense in our hearts and we need to let it go towards the Lord. He's big enough to handle that. Some of you need to forgive yourself. You just need to forgive yourself. You need to literally look yourself in the mirror, the soul, your soul, the mirror of your soul, and just say, you are imperfect. You are imperfect. You have done wrong. You've let yourself down. You haven't done things right always. And you need to just say, I forgive me. I'm letting myself off the hook. I'm giving myself the forgiveness and love that God has given me. I'm gonna receive it for myself. The Bible says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's okay to love yourself. It's okay to give yourself the value that God gives you to acknowledge it and to just say, you, you are, you are forgiven. Just any self-hatred, any, any, any body image issues, just declare forgiveness over yourself. Just accept that you need to forgive your marred view of you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Just plead the blood of Jesus. And then if there's any relationships, if there's any people, I want to start with parents. If there's any fathers that acted ungodly, if they said ungodly things, if they did ungodly things, mothers that said or did ungodly things. I want you to see their humanity. I want you to see their brokenness too. The mean things they said to you that probably said to them, the ways they hurt you, I guarantee they were hurt themselves. And you can see their humanity and you can let them off the hook for not being the perfect father because you, you have a new one. Maybe it's an old relationship. Someone stole your purity. Someone manipulated you. Someone twisted you with words and put you under some type of weird relationship where they were passive aggressive and promised you things that they didn't fulfill and you gave them things based on promises that you thought would happen and you just need to forgive first yourself for being manipulated but then the manipulator themselves men if you're in this room and you did that to women you've been a womanizer you've you've manipulated them you've you've used them you you need to first forgive yourself Every other sin is external, but sexual sin is internal. And if you're dealing with, 
with sexual sin, habitual sexual sin. Sometimes it's, it's self-hatred and guilt that drive you to continue to do it. And I just feel like forgiveness of self keeps coming up. Just extend the forgiveness that you've received to yourself. Some of us, it's siblings, maybe friendships, maybe a boss. I, I feel it again in my heart, uh, business partners that wronged business partners, people that, that, that you were in, in covenant with. There was a partnership that they broke. Things didn't turn out like you thought they would. An offense has set in and you haven't talked to them in a long time. But I just feel like the Lord is saying, I really want you to thoroughly and totally forgive them. It means you want them to be blessed. You want them to prosper. You can truly pray, pray a blessing upon them. So come Holy Spirit. And I just want to declare, if there's any demonic influence in this room, if there's any demonic influences of fear, any demonic influences, uh, bitterness is, I heard it said this week, bitterness is the spirit of murder in diapers. Meaning anger, anger, it's rooted in murder. It's rooted in the destruction of that person. And I just want to declare the blood of Jesus over every soul. As a pastor and shepherd, I plead the blood of Jesus over every soul. And I pray that any demonic influence, demonic strongholds through a repentant heart, you go in the name of Jesus. You loosen your grip. Anything to do with migraines, anything to do with depression, anything to do with obsessive compulsive, and I see panic disorders, in Jesus' name, spirit of fear, leave this room in the name of Jesus. Leave this room in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood over your people, God. I plead the blood over their souls. I plead the blood, Lord Jesus, over your sheep. And Lord, your sheep know your voice and you came to lead them into paths of righteousness. And we declare, Lord Jesus, that we are in the fold and that you are a good shepherd and that you came to liberate our hearts. And so just entrust your heart fully to the Lord right now in Jesus' name. I'm just gonna keep praying. I feel like the Lord wants to continue to dial in. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We prayed that earlier. Come and take your rightful place where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we declare the Lordship over every heart. If you've surrendered something significant to the Lord in the past five minutes, if there's like a mountain that, that you feel like is being moved because of a relationship and pain of the past, I want you to run down to the carpet. I want you to come and get on your knees. If there's something that's shifted in your heart, I want you to come down front in Jesus' name. Come, come, come. Come, come, come. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. As you come and kneel down, I just want you to come and surrender that relationship. Come and surrender that memory. This is a burial ground. It's a place where you're burying the hatchet. You're bearing what was. You're bearing the pain. And you're entrusting your soul to your shepherd. Psalms 23 says he's the restorer of your soul. And he's restoring souls tonight. He's restoring souls. That which the enemy has had a foothold in, he's taking that ground back. He's saying this has been blood bought. Come, 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 come. I feel like there's about 20 more people. I feel like there's something about actively moving, actively saying, Lord, I'm coming to surrender this thing in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. <laughs>